Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Fishing for Men with Mac show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. Thank you for tuning in, for listening. I am dealing with this question. Why Islam is a bad idea? And it has been interesting so far, the feedback that I've had from people. People have given some good questions and raised some important issues. In the first show, those of you who did not listen to last week's show, it, I basically did two things. I, I told the story in a nutshell of how Islam started. I uh, spoke about Muhammad and the Kaaba, etc. Please go listen to that one. And then secondly, I gave the reasons why Muhammad is not a good guy to follow or place your trust in. And so there were quite a few things that I mentioned on that. Today I'm going to talk about the Muslim scriptures, Jihad and the Bible. Uh, let me just give you some feedback that some people gave me. Um, some people found the story very interesting. Uh, most people never knew that that is how Islam started and that is how Islam came to be. Nobody knew that there was a flying horse involved in the story. And, and that is how large the gap of time is between Islam and Christianity. People didn't know that. They didn't know that Muhammad lived 600 years after Jesus. Because from our perspective, sometimes we think it's an ancient religion. It's, it's really not an ancient religion, not nearly as old as Christianity or um, any other religion on the planet. Um, some asked me whether Islam is a cult or not. And I, I think I will address that. I'm still going to do a series of podcasts on cults because I think that's important to address. Some people thought it is silly to talk about um, or to do a podcast on it, uh, especially Christians. Interestingly, um, they say things like uh, Muhammad is nothing. He's no prophet. Islam is a lie. Don't even talk about them. And to be honest with you, I found that quite shocking. And the reason why I'm specifically addressing this topic is because, you know, we, we cannot really avoid Islam. Um, if a Muslim stands in front of you one day, how will you be able to lead him to Christ if he's trying to lead you to Islam? Can you accurately, argumentatively or in, in truth um, show that uh, Christianity is true and Islam is not? Um, that is important. What if your child one day wants to turn to become a Muslim? That's why I said in the previous podcast, Islam is the fastest growing religion in the world. In other words, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be more in our face than we've thought before. Um, a, a Muslim moves into into the house next door to you um, and, and you can't defend your faith. Uh, you know, so when people um, criticize us for talking about other faiths, I, I really struggle a little, little bit about that, you know, because it tells me that they're not making disciples. If you're making disciples, you want to teach people about Jesus, you're going to come across a Muslim at some point or another. And it really just helps if you've got an idea what their faith is about. 1 Peter 3 verse 15 says that we've got to give a reason for the hope that we have. In other words, why are you a Christian instead of a Muslim? We've got to be able to answer those uh, questions. You see, you might believe that Jesus is real and Muhammad a fake, but how do you prove it? That's why I believe it's important to talk about these things. Uh, you know, some people felt really uncomfortable with the bad facts of Muhammad's life. Uh, some people wanted to know where I got this information from. I mean, is it true that Muhammad did these things, that he had uh, these amount of wives, that he ordered the death of, of hundreds of Jews? And some people felt that Christianity isn't much cleaner than Muhammad was. 
they would point out to some of the things in the Old Testament. The, the, the Bible also contains various scenes where there's murder, even God's people killing people. Um, rape takes place in the Bible as well. So, so what I decided to do was to deal with that in this podcast. The two questions then for today is this. What are the Muslim scriptures? Why is this important to talk about? What are the Muslim scriptures? Because if we make claims about Muhammad, if we make claims about how Islam started, where do we get that information from? Are those reliable sources or are those stories that people had made up? Okay, that's the first question. Secondly, is there a comparison between jihad and the Bible? Now, for those of you who want to know what jihad is, jihad does not mean... um, uh, warfare necessarily it means a struggle it could be a struggle inside of yourself but it also does include a struggle against other people who do not believe what you believe and and specifically in Muhammad's days it was warfare jihad referred mostly to warfare against the infidel so let's start off with the first question and answer this what are the muslim scriptures as i stated i was asked where i got the information from regarding what Muhammad did in his life um, which I considered that, you know, these were not good things that he did. And it's important to talk about this. I'm a Christian, so I believe in Jesus. I follow Jesus. And if Jesus raped anyone or cut somebody's head off or had a nine-year-old wife when he was 53, I'll be very straight with you. I would not follow him at all. If Jesus, if there was any hint that Jesus did the things that Muhammad did, I would not follow him. But the Bible depicts Jesus as perfect and holy. He was fully man and fully God, yet he was without sin. That is why I follow him. There's not even a hint of Jesus doing anything that we would consider as immoral. And so the Bible speaks well of Jesus. Other sources outside the Bible has said, for example, that Jesus is the child of adultery. Now, I went and did some research on this. And you know what? There are very little, and in actual fact, there are no bad things to be said about Jesus. Not even coming close to him murdering anybody. And I'm talking about sources outside of the Bible. The Bible says nothing bad about Jesus. But let's say the sources, let's say there were stories outside of the Bible about Jesus that we would consider to be uh, put him in a position, a disrespectful position. Um, there are no other sources. Uh, now, the reason why I'm raising this, because if I say that Muhammad has done all these things, maybe the way I get my information from is from sources that are that Muslims don't even believe in or respect in anyways. So we wanted. So I wanted to evaluate that. Okay. So I hope you understand the question. The facts that I did give about Muhammad's life, do they come from reliable sources? Do they come from the Muslims' own scriptures? That's the question that I'm raising. To start off this, um, I'm going to tell you what the Muslim scriptures are, the way that I understand it. And I've got to be honest with you. I Before I started researching this, I didn't know it was as complex as it is. It is very complicated how the Muslim scriptures work. My goodness. But let me try to understand it and let me try to tell you what, what I found. So you have in, in Islam... This one document, and this is always how I understood it, that this one document was the totality of these scriptures, but it's not. This one document is the Quran, as I said last week. Uh, the Quran in, in, entails the recitations, the words that he got from Gabriel. Gabriel got the words from Allah. And so he transferred it down to Muhammad, and Muhammad spoke these words. His friends wrote it down. 
But these words were never compiled until after the death of Muhammad. Now these words, the Muslims believe, come directly from God. They are divine and they're the perfect words of God. Okay, it's written in the Arabic language. That's why the, the Muslims, they don't like it. Uh, they, don't, they, don't, they, they don't want any translations of the Quran. It has to be in Arabic. That's the, the language we could say that God speaks. Uh, and you cannot fully understand the complexities and the intricacies and the wonder of the Quran unless you can read and understand Arabic. So in other words, to be a great Muslim, you've got to learn the language of, of Arabic. Okay, so that's the main text, the words that directly come from God. But then there's other texts as well. There is the Hadith. The Hadith is the second highest ranked document next to the Quran. Well, documents written by different people. It's a record of the words and the actions and the silent approval of Muhammad the Prophet. It is the backbone of Islamic civilization. Most of the laws in Islam come from these writings. Okay, The Quran itself says that Muhammad must be emulated and his judgments must be obeyed. That is in Surah 3321. You have indeed the messenger of Allah, Muhammad, a beautiful pattern of conduct for anyone whose hope is in Allah and the final day and who engages much in the praise of Allah. And so what that text is saying in the Quran is that we must obey um, Muhammad, um, whatever he says, and we've got to follow him. He's got to be our example. That's why I'm doing this podcast, because he doesn't look like a guy that I want to follow. I can't follow that guy. I can't emulate him. But how do I know about his life and his teachings? I, I get to know about his life and his teachings through the Hadith. Okay, so the Hadith is important because it tells us about what Muhammad did so that we can follow his example. Surah 4 verse 80, which is the verse in the Quran says, He who obeys Muhammad obeys Allah. All right, that's important. The five pillars of Islam, for example, I'll still talk about that. They are not explicitly formulated in the Quran. But it is in the Hadith. So there are huge debates in Islam apparently regarding these writings. Some do not accept all the things written in the Hadith uh, to be divine revelation. Some do. Some say some of it's fiction. There are absurdities. There are some contradictions. And there are scientific errors. And so the Muslims like to say, but they only have one book. But if you go look at everything that they do and what they quote, it really also includes the Hadith. And the Quran talks about that. Then there's the Sirah. The Sirah is the earliest biography of Muhammad's life. So obviously we've got to know that one. The, the, the Quran says we've got to follow uh, Muhammad. So we've got to know the Sirah as well, which talks about his life. Then there's the Tafsirs. The Tafsirs are commentaries written by scholars using the Hadith collections to explain the meanings of the verses in the Quran. Okay, I hope that you're following with me so far. So you've got the Quran, the main text. Then you've got the Hadith which talks about the life of Muhammad and his teachings, etc. Then you've got the Sirah, which is the earliest biography of Muhammad's life. Then there's the Tafsirs, uh, which are commentaries by scholars. Um, they use the Hadith to explain the, um, the Quran. Not all of these scriptures are necessary. Because we, you, as a Muslim, you've got to understand the Quran. And as a Muslim, you've got to understand the Prophet, okay, Muhammad, because you're supposed to follow him and, and, and emulate him. Alright, but it doesn't just end there. So these are all the, the scriptures and things you've got to know and understand of Islam. And then there are prophetic texts. The Quran was given by Muhammad. That, that, that is the final prophecy from the messenger or the final text. It's the greatest and the final message from God. But then there's the Taurat. I don't even know if I'm saying these things correctly, but 
uh, that was given by Moses, and we know it as the Torah. Muslims don't accept the Torah that we have in the Christian Bible. They say, no, the one that we have in the Christian Bible is not totally accurate. There was another one given to Moses by God. Maybe some of the things in the Torah and the Christian Bible is true, but not all of it. And then there's the Zabur given by, by uh, David. Uh, the Muslims don't accept all that is written in the Psalms. So that refers to the Psalms of David. The Muslims also say, okay, some of it, yes, is from Allah. Some of it is not. And then you got the Injil. The Injil is the message given by Jesus. That is the gospel. Okay. Now, Muslims don't accept everything that's written in the Christian Bible about Jesus, the, the Gospels of Jesus. They say, well, some of it we believe and some of it we don't. Okay. Um, apparently, Jesus also wrote down a Gospel that's somewhere lost that they haven't found. Um, so, I hope that you get an understanding. Do you see how complex this is? So, sometimes they would say they agree with the Bible and sometimes they would say they don't. Now, let me recap just from last week what I said about Muhammad. Because the question is, where, what, what are the sources where I get my information from regarding Muhammad? Let's talk about his wives, for example. Um, Allah told the Muslims uh, that they can only have uh, four wives, but Muhammad, he could have 13. W where does that come from? Well, it comes from the Quran. Surah 33 verse 50 says that Allah allows Muhammad to have as many wives as he pleases, but not the rest of the Muslim population. Surah 4 and verse 3 says, you may have four wives, not more. So where do we get this information from? We get the information from the Quran, the most holy book. And then on how many wives Muhammad had, we, f we find that in the Hadith. Uh, these are both respected documents that the Muslims believe in. Some have called him a pedophile. Now, uh, that's what I spoke about last week. Aisha, uh, she was nine years old. Muhammad was 53 years old when he consummated that marriage. Where do we get that information from? We get it from the Hadith. So we... Um, an actual fact, in the Hadith, Aisha is the one actually telling um, whoever she's talking to, she's writing down or somebody's writing it down. She's actually saying what her age was. You want to go look at that? You can go see that Sahih Bukhari, Volume 5, Book 58, Number 234. Um, and then also, just want to note this, that the Quran itself approves of pedophilia. You can go read that in the Quran, the Holy Book itself, Surah, Chapter 33, Verse 37. And then I spoke about Zainab. Remember, Muhammad took his, his, his cousin's or his nephew's wife and God allowed or Allah allowed the, the divorce to take place. That was recorded by Al-Tabari, was a Persian scholar, a historian and a commentator on the Quran. Um, in, in Surah 33:37, which is a text in the Quran, Allah approves the marriage. So we see that the most holy book approves of this. Um, I, I, I looked up into the accusations regarding Muhammad's rape uh, or no, him raping uh, Rehana and Safiya. And I'm going to be honest with you. I, I, I feel ashamed that I mentioned that because I couldn't get a clear, clearly defined text that says that he did indeed rape um, those two ladies. He did, however, uh, kill their husbands uh, and he did, however, take them into slavery and he did say to both of them, uh, you, you can marry me if you become a Muslim. If you don't, you'll be, you'll be remaining a slave. And in some instances, he probably said you would also receive the death that your family had. So I'm going to exclude from here because I don't have enough information to, to accurately and honestly say that he did rape these women. But I can accurately confirm that he did kill their family members and he forced them to become Muslims. And then he made them, um, he made them his wives. And these women... Uh, the one took longer than the other one, but they both accepted Islam um, because uh, they would have a better life 
being the wife of the Prophet than to be a slave of somebody else. The beheading, um, Muhammad ordered the beheading of between 500 to 900 Jews of the Banu uh, Quraiza tribe. Uh, that event is recorded in the Quran in Surah 33:26. It's recorded in the Tafsir and also in the Hadith. So most of these things that I talk about Muhammad, these are well-known things by the Muslims. I'm not sucking this out of my thumb. It comes from the sources that the Muslims themselves believe in and respect. Um, so let me conclude. The facts of the events are undeniable, but the motives are debated by the Muslims. There were good reasons to kill the Jews at the time. They were enemies of Allah. Uh, Muhammad could have any woman because he was a prophet. Um, women could be treated as slaves. It fit in with the time. I am saying, I don't care what the culture was. Culture does not dictate morality. God does. God is the one that dictates morality. If the Muslim God approves of these things, then I cannot follow him or even consider him to be the true God. I cannot. I cannot, I cannot, I cannot. The God of the heavens and the earth is not cultural, culture bound when it comes to morality. What's right in the beginning is right at the end. So I will stick with that. But what about the Bible? We criticize Muhammad for killing people in God's name. But the Israelites did the same, didn't they? And at the command of God. We find in the Old Testament that the Israelites killed many people in the land of Canaan. They killed people who worshipped other gods. What is that all about? How can we criticize Muhammad and say, I don't want to be a Muslim because Muhammad killed other Christians in the name of other people, Jews, in the name of Allah. He was brutal. But yet if we go read the Bible, I mean, goodness gracious, Joshua was brutal. Gideon was brutal. Samson was brutal. Uh, what are these stories uh, about and can we compare them? First, I want to say that Christians don't follow the Old Testament. We are under a new covenant. We are nowhere told to imitate Joshua. We have been nowhere told that we can got to emulate the conqueror of Canaan. Yet in the Quran, the Quran clearly says emulate Muhammad. You see where the problem comes in. We are told to imitate Jesus. And as already stated, that's exactly what Christians want to do. And Jesus is a good example to follow. Nothing in all of scripture or even outside of scripture can cast doubt on Jesus' morality. The worst thing that Jesus did was to smash around a whip in the temple and turn over tables. Because they had turned his father's house into a den of thieves. He never killed anyone. He never beheaded anyone. He never even had one wife. In actual fact. He was killed and crucified. You see, in Islam, you are willing to kill others for your God. In Christianity, you are willing to be killed for your God. You see, the founder of the Islamic faith, he murdered people. The founder of the Christian faith was murdered by people. So we follow Jesus, not the Old Testament. The Old Testament does have a place. The Old Testament um, introduced a different covenant than the one that we have today. Nevertheless, we do learn, and that is why the Old Testament is part of the Christian canon. Yeah, let me tell you, Romans 15 verse 4 says, Everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Right? So everything written in the past was written to teach us the good things and the bad things. Now, the, the Old Testament 
it does contain good things, but it also does contain bad things. And very immoral things happen in it. We learn from it. We don't follow it. We learn from it. Uh, let me use Bathsheba as a good illustration. I mean, David was an amazing man, a man after God's own heart, wasn't he? David was a man, a great man, right? But he saw Bathsheba. He called for her. It was another man's wife. He slept with her. And then he lied and he had her husband killed. Okay, so look at that example. I mean, that is in the Bible. So does that now mean the Bible is not true because of this story of David? Well, here's the problem. David was not the founder of our faith. David was a man who made mistakes. We look at what happened. And you see what happened with David after that? He repented and God blessed him after that. So we learn from his mistakes. We learn from the good and the bad in the Old Testament. So we can't take the old and the old. Uh, we can't take the bad in the Old Testament and then say, "Well, we can't be Christians because the people in the Old Testament did bad things." All right? No, we are following Jesus, the founder of our faith, and the Muslims are following Muhammad, the founder of their faith. And I am arguing, saying Jesus is worth following, Muhammad is not. And I'm going to do next week's um, podcast probably on that. So we don't follow David, but we learn from his successes and his mistakes. And that's the purpose of the Old Testament. But secondly, I can also say, we still sit with the problem. Even though we don't follow the people of the Old Testament, we follow the God of the Old Testament. And the God of the Old Testament ordered the genocide of the Canaanites. He ordered it. And in that specific instance, we've got to look at the context. And this is phenomenal, because if you go back to Genesis chapter 15, you already start to understand the context. When God spoke to Abraham, who spoke to Abraham, you remember God said to Abraham, listen, I'm going to give you this whole land. I'm going to give you as many children as the sand and seashore. I'm going to bless you. Okay, and he gave him the promised land. And while they were there in the promised land, God said to him one day, in the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here. For the sins of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Do you know what God is doing here? He's saying to Abraham, listen, man. You, your descendants, they're going to get this land. But before that, you guys are going to be taken into captivity, into Egypt. And we know the rest of the story. They were there for 400 years. Right? So Abraham's whole family went into Egypt. And after more than 400 years, they went through the great exodus and they went into the promised land. God is predicting the invasion of Canaan here by Joshua after the exodus. Now the question is, why would God do that? And the text gives the answer. Why would God predict the conquering of the land of Canaan? Because listen to what the text says. Because the sins of the Amorites had not yet reached its full measure. The reason why God commanded the Israelites to invade Canaan and destroy and wipe out the nations of Canaan. Okay. Was because of their evil. And what is phenomenal about this text is that God already predicts beforehand. He says, listen, man, I'm going to use the Israelites to punish the people of Canaan, to destroy them because of the evil. But you know what? I'm going to give them 400 years to repent. In other words, these people that God is going to destroy, they're going to have 400 years to change their ways. God gives them time. And if you want to know what they did, go read Leviticus chapter 18. Just as an example, these people performed incest sacrificed their children in the fire to Molech, had same-sex intercourse, then practiced bestiality. And if you don't know what bestiality is, is to have animals with sex. So these were the worst to have sex with animals. Sorry, yeah. these, these are the worst type of people that you'd find on the planet Earth. God was waiting for the evil to reach a stage where he would have to destroy them. So God gave the Canaanites over 400 years to repent and 
to change their ways before he used the Israelites to destroy them. So the Israelites, they were simply a tool God used to remove the vilest evil from the earth. And this is not the same as jihad, ladies and gentlemen. Muhammad said, become a Muslim or die. The Israelites didn't do that. God had given them already a long time to repent, but they refused. The Israelites were exterminating evil that was making the world a worse place. Thirdly, there's great symbolism in this. There's great symbolism in the events that took place in the Old Testament. Remember, we learn from the Old Testament, right? God is revealing His holiness here and His wrath on sin. He's saying this cannot be allowed on the planet. His war is against sin. His war isn't against people. His war is against sin. And that is what the New Testament teaches us. That God is holy. That He opposes evil. And if you will, you can say that the Old Testament events like that are illustrations to show us who are under the New Covenant how God's holiness is holy. And how His wrath is intense because He's a consuming fire. He destroys evil. But he gives people time to repent. The Exodus is a metaphor of our spiritual lives. Let me explain that. We're in captivity. The Israelites were in captivity in, in Egypt. We're in captivity of sin. God comes through his messenger and he releases us. He saves us from sin, from our life of sin. That is Jesus. In the Israelites' case, that was Moses. From there, they go through the journey of the wilderness the journey of the wilderness is our lives. We live, right? And then we enter the, the promised land of Canaan. So there's tremendous symbolism in the Old Testament. Now let me conclude. Because Islamic scriptures are so many, so confusing and so complex, it makes it hard to say what they believe and point out. It, it's hard to point out the inconsistencies. If you point out anything in the Torah, or the Gospels that we have in the Bible, they can turn around and say, yeah, but we don't believe Jesus actually did that or said that. And when you quote from the Torah, that's a section of scripture that we don't believe was in the original Torah. If you point out facts from their own sources regarding Muhammad, they might say, yes, but we don't believe that section of the Hadith to be accurate. Um, but other sections of the same Hadith, they would consider accurate. You see the complexity. It's so difficult. You can't pinpoint the truth in their faith. Secondly, um, the Old Testament conquering and that of jihad today is not the same thing. The motives uh, were different under the Israelites. The motives are different under the Muslims. The situation was different. Jihad is religious warfare. Yahweh led a moral warfare. Jihad forces Islamic allegiance with death. Yahweh inspires and warns a change in morality up until the point that evil has gone too far. It is not the same thing. In other words, in a nutshell, Jihad says people can be killed if they don't come to our religion. The Israelites of the Old Testament or the God that we read about in the Bible in the Old Testament said people who refuse to repent after I've given them loads and loads and loads of time and who continue sacrificing their children in fires, continue having sex with animals and having same sex. If you refuse to change, then you deserve to die. That's the God of the Old Testament. The God of the Old Testament is a God of holiness. It's not the same thing as jihad. Anyways, guys, I hope that this has given you some clarity. Let the questions keep coming. I am learning. Uh, this is this is a very complex faith. But I hope that I will, I will just point out the facts. 
from both faiths so that people can accurately make an investigation as to what is the truth. People with their rational minds. Uh, have a fantastic day. Cheers, everybody. Bye.